असतो मद्गमय तमसो मोतिर्गमय मृत्योर्मामृतंगमय ओ शांति 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 लीडस फ्रॉम द अनरियल टू द रियल लीडस फ्रॉम डार्कनेस टू लाइट leaders from death to immortality om peace 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 be unto us peace be unto all friends the subject for today's service is how to work the right way we'll be discussing here work as a spiritual discipline work as an instrument to further spiritual progress work as an instrument to free us from bondage bondage to the mind to the body and as a consequence to the world work of some kind is indispensable in everyone's life the gita makes it clear that for an embodied being that means all of us embodied means one who is associated with a body for an embodied being giving up work completely is not possible but shri krishna says those who can give up the fruits of their actions to god they are called tyagis renouncers so we got to do our work but how to do our work can make a big difference with our work binds us more and more or it becomes a spiritual discipline and by work we mean not necessarily physical actions work includes our thoughts too any kind of conscious thinking is also included and a work so speaking listening writing eating meditating repeating the name of god all this is included in work so how to do this in the right way that will be the subject for today's discussion what should be our attitude to work whether the focus should be on the work or on the mind or on something else so these are some important points that are very relevant for a spiritual seeker shri krishna defines yoga in several ways in the gita one of the definitions is yoga is dexterity in action yoga karma sukaushalam dexterity in action or skill in action and the skill does not lie in the work but in the mind how we do this work that skill lies in the mind not in the body it doesn't relate to our physical movements which accomplish work it doesn't relate to the work itself but it it relates to how i do it dexterity relates to the mind and we also have this important teaching that our own mind is the cause of our bondage our own mind is the cause of our liberation so with this in mind we understand the need to work rightly so that instead of becoming a source of bondage work helps us secure freedom freedom from bondage to the world which includes our body and mind too before we see 
the qualities that are required for a spiritual seeker to do work in the right way we need to discuss certain fundamental principles related to work swami vivekananda's lectures on karma yoga eight lectures eight brilliant luminous lectures which can be studied again and again for our benefit so there in the very first lecture karma in its effect on character on the very first page swami vivekananda says pleasure is not the goal of man but knowledge pleasure and happiness come to an end it's a mistake to suppose that pleasure is the goal the cause of all the miseries we have in the world is that men foolishly think pleasure to be the ideal to strive for after a time man finds that it is not happiness but knowledge towards which he is going so pleasure is not the goal of life pleasure is not the goal of work either but knowledge knowledge of what knowledge of our true self self knowledge so work if done properly should remove all the obstacles to self knowledge and reveal our true self as it is we are all potentially divine we are all that infinite spiritual reality eternal self effulgent the source of eternal existence eternal knowledge and eternal bliss that's what we all are but that knowledge is potential in us it's latent right now and religion should help us manifest this that's a brilliant definition of religion you get from swami vivekananda religion is the manifestation of the divinity already in man religion is an idea which transforms a brute into a man and a man into a god you can follow any religion this is a general definition of religion religion should help us undergo transformation from our brutal nature to human nature and then to divine nature and religion is the manifestation of the divinity already in us we are all divine its potential right now it needs to manifest manifest in our thoughts manifest in our actions so that realization of the divinity that knowledge of our true nature which is also called god realization that is the goal of life that is the goal of work so that is the first principle to understand there is a sanskrit saying which says not even a fool embarks on an enterprise without a purpose in mind so we all have a purpose when we do work there is some immediate goal to be fulfilled that's perfectly all right but we shouldn't be seized by the goal as soon as we begin to do the work we need to focus on the work but more on that later so the goal is to manifest this divinity within us and the second point to understand is that all the experiences that we gather in this world by work or even passively just by living in this world all these experiences are to drive home one single lesson and that is how to find god in the midst of all these happenings there's both pleasure and pain in the world happiness alternates with sorrow they always come in pairs happiness sorrow success failure praise blame and so on these pairs of opposites define life so what's the goal of life just to gather some experiences at random and then just disappear one day die one day 
Shri Krishna makes it very clear in the Gita. This world is an abode of misery. Dukkalayam. And this world is impermanent. Ashashvatam. Dukkalayam means the abode of misery. Ashashvatam means not permanent. Having come to this world, what are we to do? Shri Krishna says, worship God. Having come to this miserable and impermanent world, worship God. That is the only lesson to learn. All the experiences that we gather should drive us toward God. Because we are devoted to God, it's not that we won't have problems. Every one of us, prompted by our karma, will have our own share of problems. But a devotee of God learns to brave these problems, not simply being swept away by these problems, not being unsettled by these problems, but facing these problems. And when we face problems, we grow in strength, we grow in devotion. So that's the point to understand, important point. This world is known to be an abode of misery. That's because happiness alternates with misery. And what we consider to be a source of pleasure today will be revealed to us as the source of pain tomorrow. When wisdom dawns on us. That's why all worldly values must necessarily end in misery. That's why Sri Krishna says this world is an abode of misery. It's impermanent. Having come to this world, worship me. So worshipping God, how to grow closer to God? How to be oriented toward that goal of self-realization or God-realization? That is the only purpose of life in the world. And God, what is God? We need to have a clear idea about this also. What is God? What's our true nature? What's our relationship with God? We need to have a clear intellectual grasp of these points for any meaningful spiritual practice, including doing work as worship. According to Vedanta, God is an infinite reality called Brahman. Brahman really means greater than the greatest. Brihatvat Brahma. It's not a particular proper noun related to just Hinduism, but Brahman means that which is greater than the greatest. And the Maharana Upanishad teaches that this reality is greater than the greatest and smaller than the smallest. Anoraniyan Mahatomahiyan. Anoraniyan means even smaller than an atom. Mahatomahiyan, greater than the greatest. So this infinite reality is God. And this reality does not abide somewhere out, out there beyond the clouds, but right in, right in our hearts. That's what we learn from the Upanishads. That's what we learn from the Bhagavad Gita. Lord dwells in the hearts of all beings and makes them move like a machine. That means God is the inspiration. And we saw realization of the potential divinity, that divinity is God. But though this is the ultimate truth, we need to begin from where we are. We cannot have a straight jump. As long as our own body, our own mind, our own individuality is real to us, we have to worship a personal God, God with form. Swami Vivekananda gives a beautiful example to illustrate this point. The point that our concept of God depends upon our concept about ourselves. Swami Vivekananda says, if there were an assembly of cats and there was a philosopher cat among them, and if there were a question, what is God? 
the philosopher Kant would say, God is a super Kant, embodiment of all auspicious qualities, ready to bless us if we do well, ready to punish us if we go astray. Similarly, continues Swami Vivekananda, if cows had a philosopher and this question was placed before that, what is God? God is a super cow, embodiment of all auspicious attributes, ready to confer blessings on us, ready to punish us if we go astray. Now let's come to man. Just extrapolate this idea to the human level. What is God? God is a superhuman being. No blemishes in him. Embodiment of all auspicious attributes. He is ready to punish us if we go astray and bless us if we do well. That's the most popular idea of God. An average person who believes in God will have this idea. God is somewhere out there keeping watch on me. That's how the idea is. Cats have identity with their cat form. Cows have identity with their cow form. We have identity with our human form. So our identity with our own form is the determinant of our idea about God. But Vedanta says, our idea about God undergoes a transformation as we undergo a transformation in our idea about ourselves. As we look upon ourselves as mere bodies, we can say body and mind, but the body occupies our consciousness so much every day that we believe that we are these bodies. So we have to, by necessity, worship a God with form. And that worship, when done sincerely, takes us to the formless. Sri Ramakrishna assures us of this. You worship the Divine Mother. And by the grace of my Divine Mother, you can have the knowledge of Brahman also. So this is one point to understand. God dwells in the hearts of all beings. He is not somewhere out there. He is nearer than the nearest, closer than the closest to me. And he is in my heart. I say... He is in my heart because my identity with him is only a hypothesis for me now. Right now, I think I am an individual. I don't have a very clear idea about God. So that's why we begin this teaching. God dwells in the hearts of all beings. And Vishishtadvaita, qualified non-dualism, says... That God is the whole and we are all parts. God is the supreme fire, divine fire, and we are all sparks of the divinity. That's a very wholesome idea to cultivate. We don't need to harp on our body, we don't need to harp on our mind. We need to all the time remind ourselves that we are sparks of the divine fire, detached from the body, detached from the mind. We are sparks, but we are related to the divine fire within, the divinity within. And the intense yearning the spark has to become one with the divine fire is what is called devotion. In qualified non-dualism, Sri Ramanuja's philosophy. That is true devotion, ripe devotion, tempered with knowledge. Knowledge or the fact that I am the spirit. I am a spark. And the spark, we saw, is detached from the body and the mind. When there is no attachment to the body and mind, there is no attachment to the world either. So for the spark to subsist, it needs something to orient itself to. In people who don't know any better, the spirit is identified with the mind, identified with the body, and after lasting happiness in ephemeral objects. So the spirit, when it is distanced from the body, distanced from the mind, when we know that we are sparks of this divine fire, the spark doesn't want to go out 
toward the mind and the body it wants to turn within toward that supreme fire divine fire and that is true devotion and work when done properly will purify our true nature of its attachment to the body and the mind another important point to understand with regard to god is that he is impartial he doesn't have chosen few he doesn't bless some people in preference to some others whom he decides to punish he doesn't have chosen few most of the time we attribute our own limitations our own tendency to settling scores with people taking revenge on them on god but the god is beyond all that god is all love infinite love god doesn't keep tabs on what we have done oh so many good things so many bad things i'll teach him a lesson that's a very crude concept of god shri krishna makes it very clear in the gita god is equally disposed toward everyone he doesn't have objects of hatred or objects of love but those who worship god with devotion abide in god and god also abides in them that's a very important teaching god doesn't have favorites to love or to hate but those who worship god with devotion they abide in god and god abides in them that's the point to be noted and shri shankaracharya commenting on this important verse in the gita gives the illustration of fire which produces warmth fire gives us warmth just saying this doesn't help if we need to derive warmth from fire we need to move close to fire so god is that fire he is prepared to abide in us and make us also abide in him provided we worship him with devotion just as we get warmth when we move closer to fire we begin to feel god's grace on us when we move closer to god and as we saw before that is the only utility of life in the world so god doesn't have favorites another point to note is this again from the gita god doesn't determine what kind of actions we get to do in life what kind of job i got what kind of uh, spouse i get in marriage what kind of children i get the kind of uh, peers i work with the kind of assistants in my job all this god doesn't determine that's a revelation because it's all because of god that would give us some kind of a solace that's because it lets us blame god for our misfortune but that's not the truth god is not responsible for the work we do god is not responsible for the sense of agency or the doership with which we do the work a strong feeling that i am the doer that egotistic feeling or no one then thinking of god offering ourselves to god i try to do as you direct me or still further working as an instrument in the hands of god so there are different degrees of the sense of agency of action the sense of doership varies from people to people why someone works as an instrument of god without asserting his ego why someone is so much attached to work why someone does desire prompt reduction so much attached to work so much attached to the fruits of action and why someone is able to do work as worship is god responsible for this disparity shri krishna makes it clear no so god does not determine what kind of actions we get to perform number 1 second he doesn't determine the agency of action with what sense of doership we do it 
And third, God doesn't determine which fruit of action accrues to which action. Karma phala. Then who does all this? Here again, people who have not heard anything better, people who could not understand anything better will always be under this impression that after death, they go to the abode of uh, Yama. That's in Hinduism. You have similar concepts in all religions. You go to the abode of Yama. Yama has an assistant, Chitragupta, who has a, a database of all your actions. Yama asks him, what did this person do? So he details all that, whatever we did from birth till death. And then Yama sends us to this way or that way. And you have it in Semitic religions too, which consider this life to be the only life. And after death, you go before God. And if the Son of God owns you, you go to heaven. And if the Son of God says, I don't know him, you are condemned to hell forever. So this kind of a notion that there is someone who keeps accounts of what we have done, what we have thought, and is ready to meet out justice after death, is prevalent in every religion in some form or other. So in Hinduism too, you go to the abode of Yama, there is someone keeping all these records. But Vedanta says, there is no one to keep your records. All your records are kept in your own mind. You call that function of the mind chitta, storehouse of memories. Every action and every thought gives rise to an impression. And that impression is stored in a subtle form in the mind, not in the brain which is gross, which dies, but behind the brain is the mind, which cannot be seen. It can only be inferred by thoughts. So these are registered in the mind. And which karma gives rise to which result is determined by these samskaras themselves. That means nature, that's what Sri Krishna says. How these things take place? Swabhava pravartate. These things happen by nature. Swabhava. Swabhava means nature. Swabhava also means my nature. My nature means my bundle of impressions stored in the mind. That determines, that bundle determines the course of my life, whether I have a strong sense of agency while doing work or I try to do work with my mind oriented toward God. All this is determined by my samskaras. God is the substratum. So my own samskaras, my own nature is responsible for all this. Where does this leave us? God is not partial. God is not cruel to us. That's what we say when we are in the thick of misery. Why should God be so cruel to me? We look for someone outside to lay the blame on. But this particular teaching, God is not responsible for our actions, is an eye-opener. It makes us more and more sober. It makes us more and more balanced. It makes us saner. This law of karma throws the whole responsibility on ourselves. When we don't find anyone to blame on, including God, when we understand the futility of this particular action, we begin to turn inward. I am responsible for my present, so my present will determine my future. If I take care of my thoughts and actions now, that will reshape my future. That will fashion my future. So that's an important point to understand. We are responsible for our thoughts. We are responsible for our actions. God has not measured out all this to us. So that makes us more balanced. We saw just now. Now with this background... That is, we'll recapitulate the two or three points we discussed just now. Self-knowledge or God-realization is the goal of life. And we also saw 
that the only goal of life in this world, miserable and impermanent, is to cultivate devotion to God. And third, we saw God, the nature of God, His consciousness, He abides as consciousness in the hearts of all of us, and devotion to Him will take us closer to Him, and the ultimate goal is to become one with God. And we also discussed the important point, God doesn't have chosen few. It's all our samskaras, our own impressions, which determine what we are. What we are at any given moment is determined by the sum total of our impressions, which defines our character. So with this as background, we'll examine three important verses in the Gita, in the 18th chapter, where you find three kinds of workers described. Tamasic worker, Rajasic worker, and Satvic worker. Tamasic is inferior, Rajasic is mediocre, and Satvic is superior. How to work the right way? The Satvic way, that's the right way. We'll see all the three verses and dwell a little longer on the Satvic. Satvic worker, the characteristics of a Satvic worker. But we study the characteristics of a tamasic and a rajasic worker also in order to stay away from these attributes. Because when we read this, we need to be reflective. All this catalogue of three different qualities, three different kinds of knowledge, three different kinds of work, worker, buddhi, driti, happiness, tapas, Yajna, gift, dana, so many kinds, so many qualities, three kinds are enumerated in the Gita. For what? For us to know in which category we fall and struggle from there to reach the superior kind. Tamasic, inferior, rajasic, mediocre and sattvic, superior. Now the characteristics of a tamasic worker, inferior worker, the worker who is unsteady, vulgar and arrogant, deceitful, malicious and indolent, desponding and procrastinating, he is said to be of the nature of tamas. Unsteady because the mind is restless, the mind is inert. Tamasic worker cannot pursue anything to its logical conclusion. A little disturbance, a little discomfort here and there, they'll just give up what they're doing and drift off to sleep because tamas is characterized by excessive sleep, laziness, a tendency to procrastinate, postpone things, habitually postpone things, wistfully thinking that the problem will solve by itself. Never happens. The problem gets complicated and what I have to face, if I don't face it today, I need to face it after some days in a more complicated condition. That's the most unfortunate fact. So, tamasic worker, unsteady, vulgar, arrogant, deceitful, that means the end justifying the means, deceitful, malicious, maligning others, which is another word for gossip. Gossip is discussion of people, considering ourselves to be the yardstick. People easily become vulnerable to this. Such workers are always classified under tamasic workers. A mind that always is in a state of uh, flux, thinking about others, what's happening to others. Gossiping maligning others that cannot help a spiritual seeker. Such a person cannot be a spiritual seeker. So we need to always remind, remind ourselves of Sri Krishna's teaching that to discipline the mind, we need two things. Practice, spiritual practice, repeatedly settling the mind on God. That is one. Second is detachment. Detachment is equally important. 
detachment from everything that doesn't help us in the primary aim. I am apparently a spiritual seeker, but I derive so much happiness and gossiping. Doesn't help us. That means we keep our mind outward going all the time, wistfully thinking that our 10 minutes attempt at meditation is making us spiritual. Doesn't happen at all. The mind can never be outgoing and inward directed at the same time. It's a full-time occupation, spiritual life. That's why work also needs to be done, keeping tabs on the mind. You find in the Gospel, Sri Ramakrishna giving humorous examples of women going to the Ganges to fetch water, and that's the time they analyze the entire world, what happened to him, what happened to her. And he also gives the example of people who are supposed to assist someone in worship, grinding sandal paste, and that's the time they discuss everything in the world. Did he finish his education? Did her daughter get married? All that when they are doing some assistance in the shrine. What kind of spiritual benefit they can derive from this direct participation in worship? So these are the traits of tamasic worker. Malicious, indolent, desponding, always cursing ourselves. Oh, this has fallen to my lot. This has been my misfortune. Why should God be cruel to me? Perpetually in a state of worry. That was Arjuna's condition in the first chapter of the Gita. Arjuna Vishada Yoga. Vishada means despondency. He developed cold feet when he saw all his relatives aligned against him in battle. That's another subject. So he had slided into Tamas at that time. Desponding and procrastinating, postponing things. Second, the characteristics of a Rajasik worker. The worker who is passionately attached to actions and desirous of its fruit who is greedy, violent, and impure, and who is moved by joy and sorrow, he is declared to be of the nature of rajas, passionately attached to actions. That means desire-prompted actions, deeply attached to actions and their fruits. That is rajasic worker. And such a worker is easily swayed by success or failure. Always thinking about the outcome, the mind that is to be concentrated on the work in hand is allowed to stray toward the fruit of action. So that undermines the quality of work done. Unless we are in the present when we do work, that itself will have a bearing on its outcome. If we don't do something with our whole, whole body, whole mind, whole being devoted to it, that will definitely affect the outcome in an adverse way. Now come the characteristics of a sattvic worker, which is the subject of our discussion. How to work in the right way. The worker who is free from attachment and egotism, who is endowed with fortitude, dhruti, and zeal, and who is unaffected by success and failure, he is said to be of the nature of sattva. Now we'll analyze these qualities. First is, the worker who is free from attachment. Attachment to work, attachment to its results. We can free ourselves from this attachment when we learn to do work for God's sake. Whatever we do, if we learn to do it as some kind of worship, of God that dwells in us, we gradually cultivate this detachment. Sri Krishna says in the Gita, 18th chapter, he makes a divine promise in the Gita, 18th chapter, by worshipping that supreme reality from which all beings have emanated and from which all activities have originated, and which has pervaded everything by worshipping that supreme reality by one's actions one attains perfection.
That's a great promise Shri Krishna makes in the Gita. Whatever be our action, how we do it, makes a difference. So learning to do work for God's sake, that can help us cultivate this detachment. And Shri Krishna gives one more prescription in the Gita. Whatever you do, whatever you eat, whatever austerities you perform, whatever gifts you make, whatever oblations you offer in a sacrifice, all this do as an offering unto me. Almost all our actions are covered here. Whatever we do, all our everyday actions, do these as an offering unto me. And to God, that is. When a Shri Krishna says me, it doesn't mean his physical form. He's always identified with Atman. So the teachings of the Gita can be beneficially applied by the followers of any and every religion. If we have that open mind. So whatever you do, whatever you eat, whatever gifts you make, whatever austerities you perform, do them all as an offering unto me. And he continues in the next verse. If you do work this way, you will escape from the bondage arising from work. You will be unaffected by both good and evil effects of work. Such a clear teaching here. If you do work as worship, as some kind of an offering to God, you escape from both evil and good effects of work means we won't gather any more impressions from work. And we have seen that these impressions are the cause of bondage. We won't gather more impressions in the mind. That means we do our work in a selfless way. We escape from the bondage of work. So that's a, that's a very clear teaching given in the Gita. And Shri Krishna also says, elsewhere in the Gita, Maam Anusmara Yudhyacha Remember me at all times and fight the battle of life. Trying to think of God, repeating God's name. All the time. That's ideal. We can try in our own humble way. All the time, how is it possible? It's possible when we take one step at a time. So, Maam Anusmara Yudhyacha. Anusmara means remember at all times, always. And fight, fight the battle of life. And Swami Vivekananda, he gives this teaching in his lectures on Karma Yoga. We are still on the first point, detachment. That means freedom from attachment to action and its fruits. Swami Vivekananda says, the recipient, by accepting our service, has given us an opportunity to manifest our own selflessness, to manifest our inner nature. So it is the giver who is blessed, not the receiver. So we don't need to expect even gratitude from the recipient, but we need to thank him or her, at least mentally, for giving us this chance to offer service and grow selfless in the process. And selflessness, we should remember, is one with God himself. Swami Vivekananda gives us these brilliant definitions. He says there are two things, the world and God. Everything that is selfish is the world, and selflessness is God himself. So the more selfless we become, the more divine we become. The more of divinity that is latent now begins to manifest itself. So we should have this attitude, not expecting a return of favor or even a simple thank you from the recipient whenever we get a chance to be of service to others, saluting them mentally, thanking them, here again mentally, because we are not there to discuss philosophy with them, but doing it without any expectation. But most fundamentally, this freedom from attachment is possible as we learn to root ourselves in the higher self. 
not thinking that we are the body we are the mind but reminding ourselves all the time of our true nature cultivating a divine self image i am a child of god i am a spark of the divine fire this needs to be present when we work when we meditate meditation is also work japa is also work we don't get a new mind when we sit down to meditate the same mind helps us in work helps us in meditation if the mind is restless in work it's restless in meditation it's not going to grow calm during those 10 15 minutes or 30 minutes of our meditation that's why it makes all the more the case for doing work as worship identifying ourselves with that imperishable reality and letting the body act letting the mind act that's a spiritual practice it's difficult because it is spiritual practice if it's easy everyone would have done it but it's not impossible because only human beings can do it no one else can do it so rooting ourselves in our higher self that's the way to be free from attachment to work and fruits of action and swami vivekananda calls this self conscious activity be aware of yourself don't let the mind drift from one thing to another but dedicate your whole being he calls this self conscious activity he says whenever you're doing anything do not think of anything beyond do it as worship as the highest worship and dedicate your whole life to it for the time being these are all mantras given in english whenever you're doing anything do not think of anything beyond the mind habitually thinks of the fruits of this action or thinks of something that happened yesterday something that might not happen at all some imaginary problem all this when i'm doing work now that is why swami vivekananda says do not think of anything beyond do it as worship as the highest worship and dedicate your whole life to it for the time being that's a great teaching swami vivekananda gives do not think of anything beyond means do not let your mind think of anything beyond you can do it only when you distance yourself from the mind when you are aware of movements of the mind refuse to identify yourself with the mind and rein it in on the task in hand when we are identified with the mind we go with the mind the mind takes us we are working here the mind takes us to london san francisco anywhere only the body is here the we the real i the self goes elsewhere that's a very common problem for all of us it's good to keep this in mind self conscious activity be conscious of yourself when you do your work and swami vivekananda says call upon the sleeping soul and see how it awakes the self conscious activity call upon the sleeping soul and see how it awakes power will come glory will come goodness will come purity will come and everything that is excellent will come when the sleeping soul is roused to self conscious activity right now the soul is sleeping right now divinity is potential in us latent in us call upon the sleeping soul and see how it awakes it's ready to be awakened instead of succumbing to any and every random stimulus coming from outside from others trying to consciously manifest our hidden powers that's what swami vivekananda wants us to do and he says he gives us this inspiration call upon the sleeping soul and see how it awakes it will awake that means that's the promise and he says power goodness purity everything that is excellent will come when this sleeping soul is roused to self conscious activity these are all great mantras as we saw before we need to meditate on these mantras we need to think of these mantras and and try to be as alert as conscious as possible when we do work when we are conscious while doing work we'll be conscious in our meditation too if we do our work in an unconscious way letting the mind drift the same thing will happen in our meditation too 
because it's the same mind. The second trait of a sattvic worker, freedom from pride and self-importance. Anahamvadi. That means one who is devoid of the feeling of being the doer of the action. Usually, people take credit for everything they do, every good they do. If they do something bad themselves, they say, I'm not responsible, it is God who inspired me to do it. That's human weakness. God is responsible for all our actions. At the same time, God is detached. We have seen before. God doesn't determine what kind of actions I get to do. The sense of agency with which I do that action. What fruit accrues to which action. God doesn't determine all this. But God is the substratum on which all our thoughts and physical actions are played out. Just as an entire movie is played out on a screen. Without the screen, you cannot have the movie. Everything that happens in the movie is apparently real. But at the end of it, you know that only the screen is real. Everything else was an illusion. But an illusion strong enough to make us laugh and cry and emotionally be charged with what happened in the movie. So Vedanta says this whole world show, our life is some kind of a movie show. Only the screen is real, the Atman is real. The screen in the movie theater is an inert, inanimate substance. But the Atman is self-effulgent, self-existent, eternal. That's the main difference. So God is that substratum on which both good and bad actions are played out. So is not God responsible for my bad actions then? God is responsible for all our actions in that he is the substratum. But we have a little will of our own with which we have the freedom to do good things or bad things, moral things or immoral things. Every moment of our life we are faced with choices. Do it this way or that way. We need to make the choice and we need to assume responsibility for our choice. How are these two things, two contrary things, true at the same time? Without the will of God, not even a blade of grass can move. At the same time, God doesn't inspire our actions. God doesn't inspire my bad actions. Sri Ramakrishna illustrates this with an example. A lamp with the help of the light of which someone studies a holy scripture. Someone else forges a document. Now both these actions are possible because of this light, light of this lamp. Neither of these actions affects the light. Neither of these actions would be possible without the light. Similarly, the Atman is like that light. Because of that light, all our actions are possible, moral, immoral, being attached to the world, being devoted to God, all this is possible with God as the substratum. That way, God is responsible for all our actions. But we are really responsible for the choices we make, the way we do something in preference to some other way of doing it. We are responsible. So this responsibility is good. It can help us exercise our choices in the right direction and grow in moral life and grow in spiritual life. So this is what needs to be understood. God inspires all my actions. He is a substratum. It's not that a person is sitting inside me and then moving me, but God as consciousness, with which I am one in that ultimate moment of realization. Right now, that's not the case. So I need to begin from where I am. After studying Vedanta, after getting a very clear intellectual grasp of Vedanta philosophy, I need to begin from where I am. That's important. So the sense of uh, egotism, that I am the doer, that needs to be gradually attenuated. That needs to gradually give place to the feeling that I am an instrument in the hands of God. 
That's what Sri Krishna teaches in the Gita. He tells Arjuna, Nimitta Matram Bhava Savya Sachin. O Savya Sachi. Savya Sachi was another name for Arjuna. Savya Sachi means ambidextrous. He could shoot an arrow with both hands. He could hold the bow in right hand and then shoot from the left or hold it in the left and shoot it from the right. That was how endowed, that was how an exceptional archer Arjuna was. So Savya Sachin. Nimitta matram bhavasavya sachin. You be just an instrument in the hands of God. God is the prime mover. God inspires your actions. You be an instrument. In that case, your body and mind will become fit channels for the flow of divine wisdom. So we grow less and less egotistic. We grow more and more in devotion. And Sri Ramakrishna speaks of two kinds of ego. Unripe ego, ripe ego. Unripe ego is that which says, I am so and so, these are my people, these are my possessions. In other words, this unripe ego derives its sustenance from inanimate objects and other people who are also finite beings. But Sri Ramakrishna says, This ego is not going to disappear easily. You think you have gotten rid of the ego. But the very thought that you have gotten rid of the ego is indicative of the presence of ego still in you. So Sri Ramakrishna says it's not possible to get rid of this ego. It's going to show itself somehow or other. In that case, let that ego abide as the servant ego when it's not going to disappear. So we need to re-educate the ego in order to get this freedom from egotism. Convert the unripe ego into ripe ego. I am a child of God. I am a spark of the divine fire that also needs ego. But this ego derives its sustenance from God himself. I am a child of God. I am a spark of the divine fire. I am a child of God. I am the Atman. It doesn't depend for its sustenance on impermanent objects in the world or other fickle people who are as much in need of support as I am. So, ripe ego needs to be cultivated in preference to unripe ego. The next quality of a sattvic worker is dhriti, willpower, determination. Buddhi is the seat of willpower. Dhriti is this willpower in action. Our strong will show itself in our actions, in our thoughts, in the correct direction of our thoughts in the most wholesome nature of our work, physical, mental work. So this determination, this fortitude, dhriti means fortitude, dhriti means willpower in action, that's the quality of a sattvic worker. Dhriti, Sri Ramaruja comments on this. He defines this dhriti as steadiness. Steadiness is perseverance regarding work that has been undertaken despite the pain that is inevitably associated with it till its completion. That means holding fast, holding fast to work, doing work, come what may, whatever be the obstacles on the way. This dhriti, this will, steadiness, will help me pursue the chosen way. Otherwise, there is no dearth of obstacles. Shriyam si bahu vignani. That's a great teaching in Sanskrit. Shriyam si means greatness. Bahu vignani. Infinite obstacles. All good undertakings are fraught with many obstacles. That's the translation. It's not because we practice spiritual discipline. It's not because we live a moral life. Because we do good things. It doesn't mean we are not going to have problems. It doesn't mean we are not going to face obstacles. But despite all these obstacles, holding fast to the, to the course one has chosen till it's completed, that is this dhriti. And for this dhriti to grow in strength, the mind needs to grow in discipline. The more disciplined the mind is, the stronger the will and stronger this dhriti. And the fourth quality is zeal. 
being endowed with zeal, enthusiasm. We have seen so far, with a strong will, you should be free from attachment to the action, attachment to the fruits of action. You should not say, I am the doer. You should cultivate this attitude of instrument in the hands of God. And then you should have a strong willpower. All these, all these are very demanding. So, it's not a surprise that we are not that enthusiastic in doing work this way. But that's required here. In other words, a satic worker is never pessimistic. Every day, every day he wakes up, she wakes up, is an opportunity to serve God through work, through spiritual discipline. Oh, one more day, not that. One more day to worship God. One more day to struggle against my mind and grow in devotion to God. That is utsaha. That is enthusiasm. And when we have that enthusiasm, we'll stop blaming others. We'll stop blaming our misfortune. We'll stop being run down, sapping our own self-effort. We have this important teaching from Swami Vivekananda's complete works. How we need to have a positive attitude toward work, how we need to be enthusiastic. Swami Vivekananda. It is the worker who is attached to results that grumbles about the nature of duty which has fallen to his lot. To the unattached worker, all duties are equally good and form efficient instruments with which selfishness and sensuality may be killed and the freedom of the soul secure. We are all apt to think too highly of ourselves. Our duties are determined by our deserts to a much larger extent than we are willing to grant. Deserts here means desires. Our desires determine our duties. By implication, our samskaras, which have our desires embedded in them, they determine our duties. So Swami Vivekananda says, our duties are determined by our deserts to a much larger extent than we are willing to grant. To the grumbler, all duties are distasteful. Nothing will ever satisfy him. And his whole life is doomed to prove a failure. Let's work on doing as we go, whatever happens to be our duty, and being ever ready to put our shoulders to the wheel. Then surely shall we see the light. The fifth quality of a sattvic worker, being unruffled in success and failure. That's possible by doing work as worship, by offering the fruits of our actions to God. When we offer both good and bad to God, we stay clear from both. We studied in the Gita. Whatever you do, whatever you eat, whatever gifts you make, whatever austerities you perform, do it all as an offering unto me. When you do it this way, you will escape from the bondage arising from work. You will escape from both good evil effects of work. So only that can help us remain unruffled in success or failure. So these five qualities of a sattvic worker, we can reflect on these qualities and try to assimilate them in our own lives and that will help us work in the right way. So some of the points we discussed today. First we saw that self-knowledge or manifestation of our divinity, that's the goal of life. And we also saw that God abides in all of us, abides in our heart as consciousness. And the goal of life is to think of God, is to cultivate devotion to God, and ultimately realize God. And then we discussed samskaras, or impressions, and understood that we need to assume the responsibility for our spiritual evolution on ourselves. There is no substitute for self-effort. We need to grow in sanity 
by understanding this fact that what we are now is because of what we did and what we thought in the past so logically it follows that what we do now what we think now will fashion our future that's another important point and then we saw three kinds of worker in the gita tamasik rajasik satvik and the characteristics of a satvik worker they were important to us first is freedom from attachment to action attachment to the fruits of our action second is freedom from egotism the sense of doership i am the doer which needs to be attenuated to give place to the feeling that we are instruments in the hands of god and the third is dhruti fortitude a strong will a determination which helps us pursue what we have undertaken despite any obstacles on the way and the next is enthusiasm zeal for work and the last one is being unruffled in success and failure thank you